0: This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live an active and achievement-filled life. A couple quick items of business before we get to today's interview. First, the Oatmeal Project is back. The Oatmeal Project is a report that I wrote a while ago and it's about oatmeal, and it's about how to handle breakfast in case you're looking to transition to a whole food plant-based diet and you find it overwhelming and you just want to handle one meal, one meal during the day, which is actually a third pretty much of all the meals you're going to eat during the day. And I just wrote a simple report on how to make it really, really simple to have variety, to keep it healthy. And it's called the Oatmeal Project. I won't tell you what the main ingredient is because that's a secret but you can probably guess from the title. So you can get that at plantyourself.com slash oatmeal. It's free. And you also get a complimentary subscription to the Big Change Bulldog, my weekly-ish newsletter that I haven't sent out actually the entire month of August, I think. So uh, I've got a backlog of stuff to put in there. And that's, again, plantyourself.com slash oatmeal, all lowercase. Second thing, big thanks to all my supporters on Patreon who are inching me towards my goal of not subsidizing the podcast myself, but making it a, uh, a self-sustaining thing. Um, if you want to support the podcast in that way, to, to give back to the community and to acknowledge the value you get from the work that I do, which, which averages about 10 hours a week, you can go to plantyourself.com. And click on the Patreon button on the right sidebar, or you can just go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash plant yourself. Either way, you'll get to the same spot, and you can make a contribution that reflects uh, your perception of the value that you get from the podcast, the value of my time in putting it together, and your current financial resources. So, you know, only give what you are really comfortable not missing. And of course, if you do become a sustaining patron of the show, even at $1 a month level, you get access to all the healthy habit huddles that I have ever done and will ever do as long as you remain a patron. Last month, I did one on self-criticism and self-compassion, and I have one queued up on gratitude, and they are designed to help you get healthy habits into your life. All right, let's talk about today's guest. Bernie Roth is an incredibly smart and charming human being. He's co founder and academic director of the Hassel Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford University, which is known much more commonly as the D School, the Stanford D School. It's a famous hotbed of design, of innovation, of entrepreneurship. And Bernie is one of the founders. I first came across his work. Through His book, The Achievement Habit, Stop Wishing, Start Doing, and Take Command of Your Life. I was listening to it as an audio book while I was preparing a uh, potato bed. And I I listened to it because it was sort of a business book and about how to design businesses and things like that. And as I was listening, it occurred to me that Bernie would make a great guest on my friend Peter Bregman's Bregman Leadership podcast. So I uh, suggested that Peter get in touch with him. He did, and a few weeks later had produced and published an interview with Bernie on his podcast. And it was then that I listened to that interview that I thought, wow, Bernie would be a great guest on the Plant Yourself podcast. And it's kind of funny how I didn't think that originally, but only through the filter of Peter's questions. And here's why. Bernie's great contribution to the world, aside from his numerous inventions and innovations in machine design, robotics, and engineering, is the insight that successful, happy, healthy people generally don't achieve these nice things by accident. Instead, they apply design principles to their lives, and they make the good stuff happen. Now, they don't formally recognize that what they're doing is informed by design thinking most of the time, but once you meet Bernie... You'll see that the things you want to achieve, whether they are a clean diet, an exercise habit, a better relationship, a more lucrative and meaningful career, these can all be approached as design problems rather than pipe dreams. So in the interview, Bernie and I discuss how to apply his work to the goal of making sustainable, healthy lifestyle changes, and I hope you find his wisdom and his techniques as valuable as I do. So without further ado, Bernie Roth, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. Thank you. So I wanted to talk to you because I have spent the last few years of my life helping people get healthier and you know change habits, behaviors, lifestyles, diet. And I did I picked up your book kind of as a business book. Like I, I was I was I was interested in it for myself in terms of I was having some struggles like designing my own business and how it was going to work. But the more I listened, the more I realized that your type of thinking really could lend itself in a profound and kind of revolutionary way to the work I was doing with other people. Um, so that's, that's why I wanted to talk sure. to you. But- that
1: sounds interesting. Glad to talk to you about it. <laughs>
0: Great. Uh So, I mean, one one thing that I got from the book, and we'll we'll get into, I hope, you know, all all the elements, is is that like you had a pretty rough childhood, Um, and it's it's not the sort of childhood that that one would think. Ah, this person is going to become a, a, you know, an an influential engineer, designer, uh, inventor, educator. Um, And yet at some point you discovered for yourself that life was something that could be designed rather than just, um, you know, experienced as a as a bystander or a victim. Can you you kind of give us a sense of like, you know, from the early years to to how that
1: happened? Yeah, well, um, it, it, you know, it happened gradually and uh, it happened. uh, I had sort of a. uh, Not very distinguished youth in the Bronx and uh, got into a lot of difficulty and uh, was not interested in school and essentially almost flunked out. And and so at one point at school, they were about to flunk me out and I said, well, I'm not that stupid. (laughs) And uh, I sort of settled down and went from being essentially straight D to straight A and then kept going into graduate school, which totally confounded me that I would do that. And ended up really liking the academic world. And then I became a professor and came out to Stanford with a very sort of straight engineering background that, uh, you know, the only thing you I was a designer, but designing machines and eventually robots and that kind of thing. And um, I started to notice that the people around me uh, Silicon Valley was a very different place then than it is now and uh, a lot of people especially ex-students graduated and they always talked into go about going into their own business and they didn't they <laughs> mainly went to work for big companies like Hewlett Packard and some like Ampex and Raychem which don't exist anymore and uh, basically. It reminded me really of this uh, O'Neill play, The Iceman Cometh, where everyone's in the bar for the entire play, and they keep talking about leaving and crossing the street, and no one ever leaves. And so I had the sense that maybe part of what I do, it should be to give people an opportunity to get past this kind of pipe dream and to really get to do what they think they want to do. And so I designed a course which was – sort of ahead of its time in those days where I essentially was using the methods uh, I had learned on machines but on people <laughs> and uh, I was giving I had a project in the class where you had to do something you've always wanted to have done but never done before and it could be anything. It didn't have to do with anything with engineering. In most of the cases, it didn't. And uh, there was another thing I noticed is that a lot of them had problems in their lives that uh, I felt should have been solved by their parents or somehow when they grew up, they shouldn't be at this late age still having this junk around and i so i made the other possible project they could choose is to get rid of a problem in their life and those two uh, ideas turned out to be really instrumental in a lot of people's lives and uh, i've been teaching i've taught that course for well over 40 years and then when we created the d school i actually changed it a little bit and brought it into the d school Uh, and uh, basically it's this whole idea of dealing with yourself in the idea that you can control your life and you can design things. as we It's essentially problem solving. Uh, you can problem solve them and you learn from success. So if someone did, did a little project and it was successful, they could build on it. And that the idea is a very strong and powerful idea. And uh, I, I, it's been growing and growing. And the book I wrote is sort of the culmination of all those ideas brought together.
0: Now, one thing I love about design thinking, at least as it's applied traditionally, is, you know, when you were young, you made a bottle cutter.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: And, you know, you're playing with with external parts. You've got your your fuse so you don't blow up the apartment. You've you've got the the string and the the flame and all that. And it's not personal. But when somebody wants to change themselves and they and okay. they look at themselves in the mirror every day and they say I don't like how I look, okay. I don't like how I feel sure. and I've done it to myself by making crappy decisions, it's not like they're playing with parts they can get at Radio Shack. It's it Yeah. How how do you apply design thinking to sure. something that's so personal and potentially painful?
1: Yeah. Well, actually one of the things that uh is the hallmark of design thinking versus normal design uh and normal engineering kind of thing is that it's human centered and there's this thing called empathy in it so as a problem so we'll call the problem solver the designer and the designer's job is to get into the shoes of the person or people he or she is designing for so This whole idea is that you design for others and you're only successful if you really know what they're all about. Okay, well, you could take that same thing and turn it into yourself, which hadn't been done very much, but now it's becoming more fashionable. So it's the same idea of looking at what you really need what what you really want and seeing what's kind of stopping you from it and what i found is that really what stops most people is that they have they're working on the wrong issue they really don't have the right issue in mind and there are ways to get to the right issue so most people are smart enough uh to to figure out their problems i mean it's it's so It's so obvious when I work with... I do a lot of groups and creativity and all that. And it's so obvious when I have a room full of people and someone comes up with their earth-shaking problem that they have no idea how to solve... Everyone else in the room can see right through it immediately. <laughs> but then when, when your turn comes, you can't see through it. So it's this whole idea of being able to step out and see yourself not uh, with the eyes of others and, and being able to help yourself. So it's, it's not that we're helpless. So, so one thing is, is it a pipe dream or do you really want to do it? So if it's a pipe dream, that's fine. It may or may not happen and who cares. Uh, but if it's something you really want to do... You have to give it the you have to have the intention to do it and you have to give it some attention. So you have to be clear what you want to do and you have to be clear that you have to take the time and the effort and whatever it takes to do that. So that's kind of where where it's about. But the problem with even if you get that, most people don't end up with the right problem. So I'll give you an anecdote, which is just perfect. So, uh. There's a woman uh, who, she, she's a, she writes for the New York Times, and uh, Tara Parker Pope's her name, and uh, she has a column, it's sort of a science column, it's a health column, maybe you read it because of your work, and uh, someone, uh, she around New Year's, she, way before New Year's, she decides she's going to try and do a New Year's Eve column because, you know, everyone makes resolutions and they never carry them out. So she thought she would do something about that. And someone advised her that she could talk to me in that I know something about problem solving. So she called me up out of the blue and she said, hey, could you give me some ideas uh, for the problems I could give my readers and, and something we could work on uh, in my, through my column? And I said, well, we don't really work that way. We don't really give people problems. We really find out what their issues are and then we reframe them. So she said, well, could you give me an idea? I said, well, uh, tell, me, tell me really what you're losing sleep about. What, what's really bothering you in your life? And she said, well, this is embarrassing, but uh, I've put on so much weight that I don't go out anymore. I just stay at home and nerd out with my deadlines and my columns and books. And uh, we just had a reunion of my college, and I love those people, and I just was ashamed to go there. So I said, okay. So have you tried to lose weight? She said, yeah, I've tried everything. So I said, okay. So what we say is, what would it do for you if you solved your problem? Okay. What would it do for you if you lost weight? She said, well, then I could have a social life. So I said, well, what we would do is forget about losing weight. You've already tried that; doesn't work. What you want to do is work on getting a social life. And she said, OK, let me think about that. We hung up. And that, and I didn't hear from her for a long time. And then I get an email that says, look in next Tuesday's New York Times. And there's this article by her saying I spoke to this professor and uh, he told me what I just told you. And I did that. I went out and I lost 25 pounds. <laughs> so the point simply is that instead of staying home and eating, you know, how we, we, we were neurotic and we were always eating stuff we shouldn't, all that, she went out and got a little bit of a social life and it broke the spell. And that's what it is most of the time. You have to reframe. If you're smart enough, you're smart enough, I'm smart enough, your listeners are smart enough to solve most of their problems. And they do. Everyone solves a lot of problems. You and I connected here. We're talking. You know, you you have a, your blog. You, you do a lot of things. I do a lot of things. But yet we both lose sleep over lots of stuff, which is not – Peace in the world. It's not Donald Trump. It's very personal stuff we lose sleep over. Okay? And how come? Smart people like us can't solve those problems. And what I found out that in most cases is because it's the wrong problem. It's like losing weight when the real problem is social life. And I, that goes on over and over again. I'll give you another example. I was doing a workshop for some Stanford alum up in the Sierra Mountains. And this woman's big problem in life was how to get her boyfriend from stop to stop snoring. And they had tried everything. They had tried everything. And uh, she just couldn't get gone to doctors and just couldn't get to stop snoring. So I said, well, what would it do for you if you stopped snoring? If you stopped him from snoring? She said, well, I'd get a good night's sleep. So I said, well, the problem is get a good night's sleep. If that's the problem, it opens up the solution space tremendously, right? What are some solutions? Well, the first one that comes to my mind is, of course, get a different boyfriend or go to a different room or, you know, wear earplugs. I mean, there's a million possible solutions. So when you reframe that way, you actually open up the solution space tremendously. And most of the times the solution is right in front of you. OK, so and you can do that with anything. And the kinds of thing, issues that you're interested in are, are beautiful for that way. You know, so if someone says, uh, uh, I don't know, give, give me an example of a, of a problem that one of your listeners would face that you want to help them get solved.
0: Sure. Well, a lot of a lot of people listen to my show are already committed to eating a certain way, eating a sort of a very plant based diet with limited or no animal products, yes. and and they find that they believe it, they watch the movies, they listen to the doctors, they read the yes. books, and they still go out and eat foods that they feel like they shouldn't, and then they feel uh-huh. ashamed, and yes. they're in this, this cycle of being out of control on their for their health and feeling like they're not sure. they're not living in accordance with the values that they profess.
1: Uh, yeah, and then they feel badly about it, and that sort of the, the, the New Year's resolution kind of issue. Right, I mean,
0: and if you so, and if we asked them about it, they yeah. would say, "No, no, the the problem is is exactly that I can't control what I eat, and there's no." There's no meta problem there, you know, like yeah. that's it. So I can yeah,
1: feel them. But there is a meta problem. The problem is that let's say the problem is how do I control what I eat? That's the problem. How do I control okay. what I eat? And my question is what would it do for you if you could control what you ate? And then you're going to get some things, you know, it may vary somewhat, but I would imagine it's something like I'd be healthier or I'd feel better or I don't know, somewhere yeah. in that. The ballpark. Okay. Right. So I feel
0: better. I'd be healthier. Okay. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have a, my What's body would be the right size. Okay. And so I would feel.
1: Okay. So let's pick one of them. Okay. So if it's like my body being the right size, well, let's just, I mean, it could be any one of them, but if it's my body being the right size, then the idea would be, forget about this other stuff. It's not working for you. Uh, then just work on getting your body to right size. And that probably involves other things than what you're talking about, you see. Now, the problem is, this is the problem, because I, I see you're not smiling. <laughs> and the, pro- the problem is, I have this problem, especially with Stanford freshmen a lot, okay? They're so used to solving the problem. That if I disappear the problem for them, they're unhappy, but you haven't solved the problem. But the whole idea is if you disappear a problem, it's a much higher level than solving a problem. Because if you solve a problem, it can come back to bite you. But if it's no longer an issue in your life, you get the idea, if it's no longer an issue in your life that the boyfriend snores or doesn't snore, it doesn't matter that's not mm-hmm. going to come back to bite you at all. You get the idea? So you have to get to something which will handle the issue you really want. And most of the time, you can handle it. I mean, most people handle things in their life all the time. We handle hundreds of things. So you have to ask yourself, why is it this one thing, I'm losing sleep over my inability to control what I eat, indoors to eat healthy, that I want to, and yet I don't. And I think the the problem is if you look at it you're really doing it not to eat healthy per se you're doing it because you want it to bring you something else into your life like you your body chain shape or i don't know you know whatever it is you you want you 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 don't want to have diabetes you want to have whatever the issues are and if you work on that issue rather than the, the, the one you you're unable to i mean if you can work on the original one that's fine great solve it and Get a good night's sleep and we don't have to worry about it. You eat healthy and go on with your life. Fine. But if you're really losing sleep over it and you've tried to do that, you've tried to leave the bar, you know, you're in the bar and you're just not leaving the bar, you just keep drinking, then what you have to do is reframe the problem. And then most of the time, the solution is so easy and it disappears. Uh, I have a great story in my, from my own life. I was, uh, I, I was near an age which when people used to have to retire, it's in the book. I don't know if you remember it, but uh, it's kind of toward the end. Uh, and I was teaching this kind of thing. I was in Sweden at the time, at uh, uh, like the MIT of Sweden, KTH. And uh, in, I was losing sleep literally Because I couldn't figure out whether to retire or not. I couldn't figure out whether, because there was an option at that time. The law had changed, and you could retire at the expected age, or you could not. I was literally losing sleep. And in the middle of doing this workshop, I thought to myself, well, if I really believe in this stuff, I ought to apply it to myself. (laughs) So that night, I went home, and I applied it to myself. And I said, well, what would it do for me if I could stop worrying about whether to retire or not? What would it do for me if I stopped worrying, if I, if I solved it, if I, if I decided whether to retire it. And what came up was I could stop worrying about it. So the problem was not to decide. The problem was now how do I stop worrying about it? Well, how do you stop worrying about something? Well, it was so simple. It just disappeared from my life because I realized I didn't have to solve that problem. Nobody cared. I had made up this societal issue that people were waiting for my decision. Nobody was waiting for my decision. Nobody cared. And at that moment, literally, it disappeared from my life. And literally, this is many, many years after, and I have not once thought about retiring or not retiring. It's, It's so interesting. It just disappeared. And it's this issue that I brought in because I felt society required. And most issues are that way. They're things we don't, we really don't, we're dealing with the wrong issue. It's so, uh, uh, it's so easy to, you know, another one, just to give you one more and then I'll let you talk. (laughs) Uh, I had a woman whose, her thing she was losing sleep over was getting her daughter into a good college. Okay? Right. And, uh, The question was, you know, she couldn't, she just couldn't sleep. It was just annoying her. And the question is, what would happen to you if you had got your daughter into a good college? She said, well, then I wouldn't have any anxiety. So the issue is how she gets rid of her anxiety because if she got her daughter into a good college, she'd worry about who her daughter's sleeping with or what her daughter is majoring. And, you know, the anxiety will always find something to be there. So it, getting a daughter to college wouldn't change the real problem anyhow. You know what I mean? So that's really and that's an example over and over and over again. I have hundreds of examples like that. And it really works but it's really hard. You have to be not like a Sanford freshman. You have to be willing to let the problem disappear or solve it if it's a different problem. Right. So um, I love that you reflected
0: back to me that I wasn't smiling at first because I, I could hear myself going in a direction that was a dead end. So, you know, as I was listening to you, I was trying to solve the problem sure.
1: for myself
0: okay. and for these people. Yeah. And what wasn't working for me was if you don't fix the food, you're really not going to be able to fix the diabetes or the yep. or the weight issue in a healthy way, and so I thought, well, the, so the problem is staying there. But then I realized that, that what you're really getting, what almost everyone gets if they control what they eat, is peace of mind. Yeah, and so and so the, the I think at that point the the real the the new problem becomes how do I. Make peace with my life, so I don't have to use food to escape from it.
1: Well, that's that's one way, and that's you know that's sound, I, I don't think it's going to be one answer for everybody. I think all mm-hmm. your listeners are like you, all human beings, and all human beings come in with a tremendous variety. So it, it's you know for different people, it's different things. But you have to open up the conversation with yourself about reframing and you have to open up yourself what is it you really want and you know we have a class which deals with health and what they do in in, it's a d-school class and we have some doctors who participate in it and they bring their patients in and they bring in patients who are at risk from diabetes and obesity and issues like that and the way the class works is we pair the uh, patients with students with Stanford graduate students, and each patient is paired with a Stanford graduate student, and their job is essentially to help the patient get healthy behavior, okay? And part of it, we hope the students are also going to get healthy behavior by teaching and, and uh, you know, it's sort of like uh, uh, a... Uh, you know, a program of giving up alcohols, you have like a sponsor. So Uh it's like this person's sponsor, basically, and they kind of keep tabs on it. Well, see, that's a way if you that. So if, for example, uh, if if I said to myself, well, uh, what would it do for me uh, if I had healthy? Well, I'd, I'd have more control over my life. So now I said, how do I get more control over my life? Well, one way is to get a sponsor to work with me, not do it on myself. I mean, there are lots of ways of getting more control over your life. So it, 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 it's going to if, if you're really defeated by the thing and you really have the intention of doing it and you're giving it the attention it requires and it's still not working, then you've got to reframe the problem. You just, you know, you're just Blowing into the wind uh, if, if, you, if you just stick day and night. You're not going to get a new idea. We have something like 60,000 or 80,000 thoughts a day. Most of them are repeated thoughts. So if you know if you this is an issue, you keep going over. You're not going to the middle of the night get the light bulb, the aha. It you know you've already been there. You you, you can't keep replaying the movie and expect a different ending. It's always going to be the same <laughs> ending. You know? So, but but you can change the you can change it if you change the script in the middle. And what you have to do is, is this reframing is a wonderful way to do that. And literally, it kind of you know if you drew, draw it out, you just see the solution space just opens up. Uh, tremendously you know uh, uh, It just uh, and people's the wrong problem you know one of my favorites is this woman who was looking for a good man (laughs) and uh, what would it do for if she had good man well she'd have companionship well looking for companionship is different than looking for a good man companionship are lots of things there's dogs there's cats there's jobs there's going to jail join the army you know go on the go listen to your blog or whatever it is there's a million ways to get companionship and the irony is if she found the good man uh he might not give a companionship. I'm not giving my wife companionship. Now I'm talking to you. It's a problem with my wife. I don't give my wife as much companionship as she wants. So if she married for, for companionship, she got a lemon. You know what I mean? So even getting good men, well, it's not the right problem often. So it's really interesting. If you can't solve it, it's usually not the right problem. And if it's not the right problem, solving it won't help you because you won't get what you want. So it's more complicated than just a simple thing of good health. It's, it's the nuances as to what you expect out of it.
0: Right. And, and so when I, hear, when, I hear pe- when I see people when I think about myself trying to solve the problem as it first comes to me, it's basically just a form of laziness.
1: Yeah, like- uh, that's one. That's one form. I mean, they, they don't really and they're not really committed. I mean, that's another thing. They just say it's a pipe dream. You know, everyone would like to have a beautiful body and be gorgeous. And you know, that's it, everyone would like to be a multi-billionaire or whatever. But nobody does anything about it except the few crazy people who do that sort of stuff. Right. So it, so these are pipe dreams. They don't really that, that's. That's just the game. You want to have it, have it in your life, and maybe you'll luck out, but chances are you won't. But if you actually want to do it, that's totally different. And one of the things I have, uh, as you know from my book, I have a whole chapters saying reasons are bullshit. So one of the ways we lie to ourselves is we have reasons, and we give ourselves reasons for stuff. And the truth is, we don't really know why we do things. Human behavior is very complicated. Most of it is habitual. Most of it, uh, you do something, then you make, if someone says, why did you do that? You make up a reason for it. And you make up the reason that makes you look good, not bad usually, unless you want to look bad. But so you make up a self-serving reason and you sort of lie to yourself. And you'll never change in your life if you keep believing those reasons, because they're excuses, they're excuses to cover your behavior, which is not functional. So A, you have to give up reasons, you have to just say what you do and not do and not worry about the cause of it. I did this or I didn't do that. That's the fact. That's all you know what you did and didn't do unless you're blind. But if you know if you if you open to yourself, you know what you didn't. Do. And it doesn't matter what the reason is. So, you have to say that. And the other thing is, you have to understand trying to do something is not the same as doing it. It's two different cases. So, you can try and do stuff. You can try and live healthy. You can try and live. I have a friend, my wife has a friend who has just turned 90. I've known her since she was 40. In the last 50 years, she has always been trying to lose weight. She has, for 50 years, been trying to lose weight. But she goes into the store and buys candy and buys ice cream because she can't live without it, you know. But she's always trying to lose weight and talking about losing weight and joining Weight Watchers. And it goes on and on. So, you know, she's trying. That's fine. But she's not doing. Okay. And if you're doing, it's totally different. And if you're doing something, even if you inclined an obstacle, even if you find an obstacle, which you do often when you're trying to do something hard, is you walk around it. If you're trying to do something, if you find an obstacle, you're defeated. And that's the difference. So you have to resolve, am I going to try and do it? Then it might or might not happen, or am I going to do it? In which case, it's going to happen. No matter what, you're going to make it happen. So if it's a pipe dream, forget about it. It's... It's not, even, it's not even trying, but if it's something you really want, you have to tell yourself, I'm going to give it the, I have the intention to do it, no matter what. I'm going to give it the attention it requires, and I'm not going to try, I'm going to do it. And if there are right. obstacles, I'm going to get around them. So, so when, I, when I hear that,
0: I, can, yeah. I know a lot of clients who want to make it way more complicated than that and far more nuanced and say, like, Bernie really doesn't understand that it's much more complicated than that. There's approach avoidance. There's my childhood. There's all the issues.
1: They're all all good reasons, which means bullshit. When I say it's a good reason, I mean bullshit. Yeah, they're all good reasons, and they may even appear true, but there's not the reason for any one behavior. There's not any reason. it's so complicated you know it's so anything like if you ask me why am I talking to you why am I on your show well, if you asked me that, I would, being a nice guy, I would say, because you invited me. Thank you very much. You know, I, I really was honored and I'm pleased to do it. But it's so much more complicated. It has to do with everything that has with bloggers in my life and my, my book and uh, my thing, my time and all. And it has to do with uh, my great, great, great grandparents who had sex. If they had that sex, I wouldn't be on your program. Right. So there's a billion <laughs> reasons for everything. So we take the one that looks good and seems the most reasonable. So the point of being reasonable is to have a reason that seems okay. And then you're a reasonable person. But that's not why you do it. And that's not why you invited me. We don't know why we do these things. We only think we do. but We know what we've done. And then we make up a reason for it. So it, the reasons are just excuses. You know, if it, And the further you go back in your childhood, the better the Much better reason it is. If you go the further remote it is, you know, it's way... But you don't even know what you did two minutes ago, really. You did it... It's such a... You're so complicated. Your brain, uh, your your habituation. I mean, it's just... It's mind-blowing how complicated we are.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I started doing with my clients after reading your Reasons Are Bullshit chapter is we'd have these group sessions where people kind of talk about their successes and yes. failures. And I started asking, and before I was kind of shying away from asking people why they failed. Like yeah. I felt like it was, um, you know, it was, it was like stepping on landmines. But sure. since reading that chapter, I've really been focusing on getting people to express all the reasons they can't do what they want to do. Yeah, great. And it's amazing how all that withers in the sunlight of their own awareness.
1: That's great. It works very well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do an exercise. That I mentioned in the book where I pair people up and I have them give reasons. So uh, my example is always my mouth is dry. And well, why is my mouth dry? Because I'm talking a lot. Right now, my mouth is dry, actually, because uh, I'm talking a lot. Okay. But that's not the reason my my mouth is dry. It's so complicated. I had a bottle of wine last night. I'm always dehydrated. My wife's always telling me I don't drink enough. When I go to Burning Man, my urine is not the right color and all that (laughs) stuff. You know, I'm totally, I'm a kind of dehydrated person. I don't have the eight, I don't have anywhere near eight glasses of water or whatever you're supposed to have. So I'm talking, that's a good reason for me to be my mouth to be dry. But there are a lot of people who talk a lot and their mouth doesn't get dry. OK, so it's that kind of thing that you have to understand. And so you do an exercise where you tell your partner just honestly what the reasons are for, for true things in your life. And your partner tells you that's a good reason, meaning it's bullshit. So they accept every reason you tell you and they just respond. That's a good reason. And that breaks it open for people because they realize all the reasons for their behavior are, by and large, they don't really know. And, they, they, you know, some that some that more difficult to with, but most of them, they realize it's not the reason for, for the behavior. And it's really good in your group to do that because it gets people move off the dime. It gets them to realize their behavior is what it is. And it's not the excuse that they, they don't have to keep having it.
0: Yeah. And I found when I opened the door for it yes. that the, the, when they didn't have to feel defensive about the reason, yeah. then the reason lost a lot of its luster for them. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they believe it as long as they have to defend it against yeah. something yeah. else or someone else yeah. or, or their own self-judgment. Yeah. But the yeah. minute they just list them all fr- yeah. freely, they're yeah. like, I got nothing.
1: Yeah, they—they're they're, not—they—reasons they're, are such nonsense. We—we we should live without them. It's really better not to use them if you don't have to. Just say what you did or don't do, and don't use the reasons at all. Okay. I had this funny experience. We had this uh, woman working in one of the offices, and I had a bunch of, of labels made, like to give out reasons of bullshit. And she was like from two centuries ago. So she looks at it and she goes, oh, "What a terrible word." And I go, yeah, reasons. <laughs> and I really feel that way. Bullshit's a fine word. Reasons is a destructive, bad word. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so I, I got a question for you. Yeah. Was, I was very surprised with the, the way you started the book, which is you, you basically say like life has no meaning. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, your yeah. daughter has no meaning or yeah, things yeah. have no meaning. Yeah. And I think it, I think I sort of begin to understand how it relates to the way we hold on to our reasons and the way we hold. but can you explain like why why was that the prerequisite for you for anyone who wants to develop the achievement habit and have a successful yeah. life? Why do we have to let go of what we think of as the meaning of our of our yeah. life and the things. Yeah. Of
1: our life. Well, you know, what, I, I think you, you are missing the point as far as I'm concerned. It's not that, uh, what we have to realize is we made it up. That it, It's okay to have a meaning. And we can't help, but we give everything in our life meanings, but it's not preordained. It's not God-given or nature-given, whoever you believe in, or Marx given I don't know whoever gives it to you. It's you made up that reason. And that makes you a god. That makes you a very powerful person. You see? The other way, you're a victim. You're a victim. Like, I have to love my daughter. Like, example, this, this story in the book of this, my colleague whose her daughter was the whole thing in her life. And it's a wonderful daughter. I, I love her daughter, too. Okay. She's a wonderful person. But the point is that this w- woman, who is an incredible professor, an incredible mother, She chose to be an incredible mother. She's not an incredible mother because her genes or her DNA or, uh, you know, you're supposed to be. Because mothers kill. I mean, literally, as you know, mothers kill children. Mothers abandon children. Mothers uh, kill them both physically and emotionally. You know, it's a whole issue between mother and daughter. It's not necessarily a wonderful scene. So if you have a wonderful scene between you and you, you made that up. You created that. That's a very powerful feeling as opposed to, well, you know, it's just natural. It just came. So what I'm really trying to do, it looks like I'm trying to tear people down. I'm actually trying to empower people. What I'm trying people to understand is they are choosing to give everything in their life a meaning. It has no intrinsic meaning other than what you choose to give it. And so I'm not saying don't have meaning. I'm just saying it doesn't mean anything till you give it the meaning. Okay. And if you understand that, that's very powerful. It's also powerful to get rid of negative stuff. So, you know, we have, uh, if you have a conflict at work with someone or something like that, or you think they're an asshole or something of that nature, you give it that meaning. You know, if you, if you, uh, if you see the other side, it changes that totally. You know, there's this Book that just was out recently. Some Berkeley professor went to live with people in Louisiana because she wanted to see how people who were on uh, the extreme right are uh, compared to people in Berkeley. And she went there and she met these people and they became good friends and they see the world totally different. Okay, differently. They give it the meaning. They give it a, government is terrible and all you know that kind of stuff. And the woman in Berkeley thinks government is pretty good and should help people. But it's a, it's this whole idea of there's no intrinsic meaning to to, to either way. You can choose one way or the other and people do that. And things like politics you sort of see that. But it, it's true in every personal relationship, it's true in your meaning. It's true with about food. You give the food the meaning. Some people don't give the food any meaning at all, but they're giving it a meaning that, you know, it's meaningless. <laughs> but you're giving it a meaning that it's important for your health. And you're choosing to do that. And that's a powerful thing. And that people in your you know, who think the way you do should feel very Proud, if they've chosen to do that, you know, it's, it, 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 it does that, you know, so, you know, my son is a vegetarian, for example, well, he chose to do that, you know, he grew up in a meat eating family. And, you know, when he was a kid, he loved hamburgers. and all. And at some point, he was influenced by a girlfriend, and it totally changed his life. So, but he chose that, and that's a powerful thing to be, and that's the point about it. So, you should not read that chapter. That I'm trying to take anything away from you. I'm trying to add. I'm trying to empower you. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the that's what I hope you would get out of it. So, read it again and see if right. you, that means.
0: Well, yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, and, and you follow along with us in a later chapter about how you use language. Yes. So, to, you know, to me, it's it is it is the concept of. So you know, radical responsibility. Sure. Like very few people I know, including myself, really want that kind of responsibility.
1: Yeah.
0: Like you know, you know, and and, and part part of me um doesn't like when I when I hear you know like billionaire Silicon Valley people that's... saying you create your reality because yeah. I'm thinking well that's easy for you to say yeah, yeah. um and yet and yet yeah. you know yeah. a, a good friend of mine you know told me. Yeah. that every morning he wakes up and thinks about, do I want to stay with my wife and kids today, or do I want yeah. to go off? Yeah. And I was shocked until he said, like, the reason I do that is if I stay, I want to make sure that I've made a conscious, so deliberate good. choice. And, yeah. I, and I saw how empowering that was yes. to entertain the other possibility.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, I'll tell you, first of all, uh, these Silicon Valley guys are not in as good a shape as you may think they are. Okay, uh, they, lots of them have lots of problems that are not really wonderful. In my opinion, wonderful people. Although many are, but many are not. Uh, so I think it's. But I think it's true to understand. I mean, it's if you if someone is wealthy and they really made it, you know, then you think, well, you know, they're not in my league or not my. there's a different life. I can't learn it however it I think it's not true it's It's true you know I grew up with a lot of poor people. I grew up in a, a kind of working class neighborhood and uh uh you know I didn't have much money until late in my life either uh and I think it's still true at, at, at every level you know I, there were people in my neighborhood who were always on unemployment, there were people who were criminals that people went to jail you know dry, dry. it was all that stuff went on. And you could really see that people gave their life the meaning and the same circumstances, the same people. uh, It's so interesting. I have the story in the book, which really nails it for me. Uh, I had this really close colleague who had Alzheimer's and, uh, He he eventually, his wife couldn't handle him. So she put him in an institution that was about an hour away. And I would, she would go a few times a week, but I would go with her, say, once a month or once every three weeks. And it was an incredible experience. It was just love and joy and just, and he was, you know, he he didn't recognize me. He was, he was in some other world. He wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't with us and he wasn't the same person. And he was still someone I had a lot of love for. (laughs) And uh, at the same time, I had another colleague who was essentially the same circumstances. And he also had a loving wife and all that. But she treated it like it was the world's biggest tragedy. She essentially kept him locked up in a dark space all the time. And when I went over to visit... I couldn't wait to get out. I couldn't wait. I just felt so bad for him and for the whole circumstance. So here were two people whose circumstances were really identical. Literally, I couldn't tell you how much, how identical they were in terms of background, in terms of everything, in terms of profession. And one, it was a joyous, loving thing before he died. And the other, it was like a tragedy before he died. And so it was so clear how the wife. Each wife had chosen to give it their own meaning. And both meanings are valid. I understand it as a tragedy, but I also understand it's a way of of a human connection. And when you see it in those stark terms, it transcends this whole idea of millionaires and paupers and all that, because everyone has the circumstances of their life. And there are a lot of very rich people who are very unhappy and very, you know, and commit suicide, and, uh, and there are a lot of poor people who are not. So it's it's uh, it's a kind of interesting thing. I, I know. It sounds crazy, and you know, I sound like I've gone over to the la-la side of, you know, everything is crazy. And I, I don't feel that way, but, you know, I have a lot of problems in my life. A lot of stuff doesn't work in my life. I've been married for 60 years. A lot of stuff doesn't work in my marriage. A lot of stuff, the things with my children I wish would be different. There are things with my job I wish. And I think I have a great job. I feel I have a wonderful life. But everyone has issues with it, but it depends how you do it. I'd say... Most of the people I work with are really glad to be here. There are a few people who their their whole life is an agony. They everything is a problem. Everything is bad. They see it. and essentially they have the same job, you know, they have the same job. It's so interesting. I I, I had a friend who used to use my house as a sleepover. He lived in Berkeley and taught at Santa Cruz. He'd sleep in my house and he'd say to me, Your life is so wonderful. I'm so and he had the same exact life and he wasn't married. He had all these girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was so funny. It's just the way he has built personality, and he still is. I was still a close friend of mine. He has so many issues. His life has some. And it's like that's the way you treat stuff. You get to, you really get to give it a meaning. And it's, it's so interesting. It
0: reminds me of, you know, the sort of the, the ultimate. Extreme example is Victor Frankel
1: and yeah. the concentration camps. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And, and I think about that a lot because my yeah. you know, my mother was a, a Holocaust survivor yeah. Yeah. and and came yeah. out and I didn't know her. Either, yeah. obviously yeah. until she was yeah. in her you know yeah. late forties, early fifties, yeah. yeah. and she was always a very um, suspicious, angry yeah. person. Yeah. And I just assumed, like, oh, the Holocaust did that to her. Hitler did that to her. And then I met other people who came out of that experience and, you know, tried to make peace in Palestine between Jews and Arabs and and kind of had an entirely different take. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's true. You know, it's not unreasonable that, you you know, it's really unreasonable that your mother should be that way. But she doesn't have to be that way. And it's the kind of thing that's really interesting. And you know, when you get these counter examples of people who've kind of transcended that experience and gone on beyond that to, to be different, it's kind of amazing. You know, it's just uh, uh, it. it, it just, and there's so many circumstances in life where you see people that are almost identical. And then even, I, you know, I know some identical twins, which is really interesting, who are very different in terms of, and, you know, they're, they're, they're genetically they're very close. <laughs> and yet they're, they're very different in many ways, and they're choosing somehow to do that. Yeah.
0: Right. So one of the things I love about your approach and about the design uh, systems, design thinking approach, is that it really it simplifies every step of the way. So one of the things you talked about is, is the gun test. Yes. And, you know, a lot of the time when I'm teaching people and my, my partner and I are teaching people about healthy food, everyone wants to know about all the details and how many grams of this. Or when we talk about exercise, they want to know which watch they should get and what apps. Yes. And we constantly tell them, just, just do Do something. Yeah. And you, you know, you like, if there's one theme in the book that that really hits home for me, it's just bias for action. Yeah, can you yeah. talk a little bit about that and yeah. how it plays into into the design process? Yes,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, bias for action is this whole idea of not th- thinking things to death and not planning too much and just doing, even if you don't know really what you're doing and you know you're gonna make mistakes. So we actually have a class called Launchpad, which is a 10-week class at Stanford, it's a graduate class. And if they let you in the class, they screen you, but you're supposed to have some idea of a company you wanna start. And the whole idea is no planning is allowed. And uh it's not a class, it's actually you're starting a business. It's not a class, buddy. And what you gotta do is shape up and in five weeks you gotta launch. And you don't have time to plan. You just have time to do. And when you do you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna correct your mistakes. Well there are miracles that have happened in that class. One company just got sold to linkedin for 92 million dollars it was started in five weeks okay so it's just hard. whereas in the business school they plan they plan they plan they plan so the whole idea of bias towards action is just do it you know and it's okay if it's wrong but you'll learn faster than if you sit around and you plan and it's just a matter of going out and doing it the joke is my wife is as is not my biggest fan in terms of reading my book and, and doing all this stuff. She tolerates all of that. And we were in Panama together, and we were working together, and she had a, a jacket, which was kind of warm. We were in Panama City in the old time, and she somehow dropped the jacket. But we didn't realize where. And we, we stopped uh, on, and I said, I'll go back and find it. She said, oh, you'll never find it. That's great. I said, well, just sit down here. I'll see what I can do. So I go back and I walk for maybe 15 or 20 minutes retracing the steps. And then I look down a big alley and I see a guy on a bike sort of holding up a jacket, which could be her jacket. And he looks at me and he starts and I start running and I chase him for like four blocks. And as he gets through a and I corner him. And then he says to me in Spanish, he says, you know, I just found it, and I believe it. He he thought I was going to get him because he stole it. He said, I just found it, and he he. I said, good. He gave it to me. I actually gave him two dollars just to make him feel good. And I come back about a half hour later, and my wife says, now I understand bias for action. <laughs> but that's not what we usually mean about "boys." <laughs> but it really means just do it, even if you don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. I, you know, I didn't know I was going to find it or not find it. But I would, if I hadn't have gone, I would have never found it. You know what I mean? It's just a matter of going and doing stuff, and in doing. Miracles do happen. And that you know, it was a small miracle. Wouldn't, wouldn't matter if we didn't find it or not. But it's that same idea. And we do that with companies. We do that with things all the time. And you learn. See, most of the time, you don't really know what the problem is. Most people live in a world that they think, you know, you go to school, they tell you uh, two plus two equals what? And you go, well, I have two and two and that equals four. So you know what you start with. You know what you're supposed to end up with. It's called the right answer. But life isn't that way. Life is you don't even usually know where you are, for sure. (laughs) And you want to go somewhere, but you don't really kind of know where you want to go. You want to start a company. You want to do something. You want to uh, you want something. But it's not clear. And design thing is perfect for that because it's a kind of what we call like a cone of opportunity. You don't know where you're going to end up. You just want to end up somewhere. Good. Well, you You've got to start, even though you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter if you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter which way you go, just go and you'll get opportunity, you'll get experiences. And that's really, and it's a powerful thing. It is so powerful as opposed to sitting and thinking and and, and doing and just do it, dare to do it.
0: Right. So it sounds like a lot of what you do in your classes is you, you kind of unschool people.
1: Well, I say we we unleash people in a way because. But I mean,
0: I'm thinking like you know, where like kids have a bias for action. Absolutely. And I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think. Where where do we lose that? I, you yeah. know, we lose it in the two plus two equals four world because if yes. you try five, you get slapped.
1: Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I I had I knew a Nobel Prize winner. He's the guy in the book who gave me an F, on a course, and he told <laughs> yeah. he, he told he told me once. I actually got friendly with him afterward. He told me his son will never be uh, in his league because his son doesn't ask why one and one isn't eleven. <laughs> okay, so that's the mindset. Okay, but at any rate, the point is, uh, it, it's. It, I have a friend who wrote a book called Creative Confidence, and the whole idea there is we all have confidence to do creative things when we're kids and it gets squashed out of us by stop daydreaming you know how it stop daydreaming do your work or how what that picture is no good that you're drawing you know don't you're not an artist so we get kind of suppressed a little bit but we still have a lot of that in us and what we try to do here is we unleash it so it doesn't matter if you can draw well or not just draw just express it with a drawing we don't care if it's a good drawing or a bad drawing we're not going to give you a commission or anything we just want you to express your ideas best you can the more you do it the better you're going to get and you have to overcome this fear which is put, put that you know good or you're ashamed to do it and uh, it does work with a lot of people and also you know to be at Stanford most students have had good records they're not used to failing or not getting doing things wrong so it's a little hard in the beginning to get them to do something which they know might not come out right but it's so it, it's so liberating when you do that and it, 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 for some it, it flips they flip for some it doesn't, it doesn't change them they, they even reject it but for most of them it, it, it's really a freeing thing and for some it just makes them new people it just totally changes their whole lives and what they do and who they are it just opens something that was buried in them which they, they were suppressed really so, yeah, it's good.
0: So, the, the, the hack that I took away from the book that has been most profound for me is when you talk about if you're in a boring meeting, be amazed at how boring it is. Yeah, that's right. If you're depressed, be awestruck by your depression. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've taken like stand up classes. And so uh, now, and you mentioned like, well, how would a comedian do it? And I'm now doing that for the awful things in my life. Yeah. And it is, it's, it, it's so liberating and it's it so is. playful because yeah. there's nothing in the world that isn't amazing yeah. if you have the right attitude about it.
1: It's, it's so interesting. And, you know, I had a hard time with the depression one. Uh, you know, my publisher didn't want let me put it in there and all. But I have some experience with that. And uh, I, I do feel it, it is, it is where you know, it's a little harder, but it's just a matter of, uh, what happens is people snowball. They get depressed about being depressed. You know what I mean? It's and, but if you can just objectively look at yourself and say, you know, I'm really such shitty shape. But really, I can't get out of bed. I don't feel like doing. Feel like maybe killing myself and all that. Wow. I have never been this depressed before. This is fantastic. If you can make that turn, it really, I mean, it it does work. It really does. I'm not, I I don't have much, personally, I don't have much depression, okay? i maybe once or twice in my life for a few hours. I've been very fortunate that way. But my father was manic depressed. My wife has a lot of depression. I've been a lot of, through a lot of depression in my life. I see it around a lot. I really feel uh it works and it works on anything. It's like any you know, even like the dish, you know, the simple thing like I uh, people hate to I don't know why they hate to watch dishes. You know, if you go there and you say, Wow, the water's so warm, it's so great and the suds, this is fun. Yeah. This not as much fun since I'm a kid. Yeah, it's as opposed to the chore. We just did the garage. You know, garage cleaning is a big thing in people's lives. My wife, she keeps saying, she doesn't have a bias to his actions. So she keeps saying, we want to clean the garage. We ought to clean the garage. Finally, I get so tired. I said, we're cleaning the garage on Saturday. Are you in with me or not? She says, okay, yeah. So say come she finds we don't do it. But the next Saturday, we do do it. So we just did it the last Saturday. Okay. And we did a good job and all that. It was, it was great, you know, and I, I enjoyed it all. It was like just about And then we go back. Of course, she sees the half empty. She says, "Well, we didn't finish. We didn't clean all the shelves, <laughs> but we cleaned a lot of the garage, you know. And it was fine. We enjoyed ourselves, didn't we? Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was. And it's just You know, it's just the attitude. You do it. So if you if you if you're not gonna have a good attitude, don't do it. You know, don't do it. You don't have to do anything. There's nothing you really have to do. And if you're gonna do it. Get the attitude of doing it. It's going to be a much more pleasant experience, you know? Right. And I
0: love how you... Uh, you help us swap out the language instead of i have to is yeah, I, I want, want to
1: yeah 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 so that's important I mean it sounds trivial and it's okay if you slip once in a while I mean I have a problem I teach this stuff so you have all these students who watch me and if I say <laughs> a wrong word they correct me and I hate that I just hate that it's just you know don't <laughs> correct anyone else just correct yourself you know fix the world if you if you fix it it's fine so you know I can't give a reason for anything I, I, I'm like intimidated because of teaching all this stuff and it is really useful and it's like but but instead of and is so powerful people are used but so much more and but is a blocking thing and it's sort of you can't do it and and is a you know it, it, it promotes activity it promotes doing so and it's usually the, the the situation is usually the things are not in contrast but implies a, a contradiction a contrast to each other uh but and implies two things that exist simultaneously. And, you know, they may be choices. They somewhat don't relate to each other, you know. Uh, right. So, so how,
0: how would you use and and but you know, sort of as an example, let's say for oh, someone in my world sure, who's like, trying to lose weight? But they can't stop eating chocolate.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to lose weight and I can't stop eating, okay? That's really a much better example than I'm trying to lose weight but I can't stop eating, okay? Because now you have two situations. Are you trying to lose weight or you're not trying to lose weight? Yes or no, okay? And can you stop eating or can't you stop eating? That's another situation, okay? So you can lose weight. Uh, it has they, they have nothing to do with each other, but it's empowering. You see, if you, if you lose weight, it's like i, I, I give you another example. Uh, I was at a talk in Japan. The room was full of people, and at the end, this guy who, know, who took my course, a Japanese professor, he goes, Bernie, I love your talk. It was a great talk, but I go, suishi, and. So, you know, because if you say but, it's a squash. But I yeah. love your talk, and I didn't understand one of the things, or I don't agree with it all that. It's, you understand the, the energy in that. It, the, the and and the but are totally different. But is a put-down. It's a, it's a destructive thing. So it's the same thing. If you're trying to lose weight and you have these things, you're still trying to lose weight. But means you're not trying to lose weight. It's the excuse. It's the reason why you can't lose weight. You understand the two, there's action, the end, the and is an action on both ends. It doesn't squash it, but squashes it. You know, uh, I'd like that to go to a party, but I'm too tired, but I'd like to go to a party and I'm too tired. OK, and still possibly I might go to a party being tired. The other way I've squashed the possibility I'm going to go to a party. Okay, so it, it's a matter of what you want to do it's, it, if you've done improv it's exactly this uh, thing in improv you're always supposed to say yes when you're turned it's yes and yeah. it's not no but if you do no but in improv they'll kill you when the audience leaves yeah. <laughs> yes and promotes uh, conversation promotes activity you want to have a party yeah let's have a party and let's have a band too well, how, would, how would you like that oh yeah let's have dancing Howard and let's make sure there's a lot of booze uh, you know, as opposed to, I a party. Yeah, but I'm a little tired. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, you know, have a band, but it costs too much to have a band. You know, it's that mm-hmm. whole thing. So, and is an empowering thing, but is a disempowering thing, and you have to try it out. And, and it sounds weird. It does. Uh, our, our common thing is we use but much more than we should, and we use and much less than we should. And you can actually try. I actually had this funny thing with my publisher. They went through and they took out. I, did, I had no butts in the book. And they were they put hands, they went, she went out to have this other thing, which uh, help help sounds like you're helpless, and assist is a good thing. So this editor went through and took out all my things, and then she got to the chapter where I explained this stuff, and she goes, oh my God, she sends me an email, oh my gosh, Bernie, I wish that chapter were earlier. <laughs> I just went over and changed them back again. It, it just, it is funny. It You know, it, it seems a little... Unusual because we're so used to using but, we're so used to using help and stuff. It just, but it does make a difference. And you yeah. know, you slip, I slip, and it's still really useful to understand that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Certainly have to and want to is really very interesting. You don't have to do anything, really. You want to do it. If you doing it, you want to do it. So I have to go to school. My father's making me, you know, these kids. I have to go. to. I have to go. I have my parents. It's bullshit. If they didn't want to go, they would be a truant. I, I didn't go to school a lot. I was a truant, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if they didn't want to go, just be a truant. It's so funny. They don't have to do it. They do it, and they put the blame right. on the parents. They grind. Right.
0: It, rem- it reminds me of a of a line from uh, Marshall Rosenberg, who's the the founder of nonviolent communication. He says, uh-huh. "You can make your kids wish they had, uh-huh. but they can make you wish you hadn't. You made them wish they had." <laughs>
1: That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're we're at the end of the hour. So I want to I want to res- respect um, our time together. I want to say there's there's three things that I would. Have liked to ask, but I think they're, they're and and
1: thank you think
0: and I think they're they're very well explained in the book. One is the idea you talk about the overreach of science yes. and right how how we can we can limit ourselves because of a study we heard or read about and. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I find that I, utterly I, beautiful. I, I don't think you talk about it enough. I would like an entire
1: book on that. Science proves. The science doesn't. I, I mean, I love science. I've published over 200 technical papers in my life. It's just, they just overreach it. It doesn't prove anything. It maybe suggests something and all that. But it's just the use, you know, uh, the science has proved your brain will work better if you do this exercise, buy my thing. I hate that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I and and, and it's, I don't want to sound anti-scientific. I think science is good. I just wish it could prove all the things they said it does.
0: Yeah. Well, I get most of the scientists don't think it proves it. It's the yeah. journalists and the bloggers
1: who who re- use they'll use it. Yeah, they use it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, well, if I could ask one final question. Yeah. Sure. Um, so a, a key part of design is uh, prototyping. And I'm just curious it, what that looks like yeah. for a lifestyle change. Well, I think we can see that prototyping yeah. is around – Bias for action, and it's around not being afraid of failure. But what what would would it look like for someone who's trying to change their their lifestyle to get healthier?
1: Yeah, you just try something. So, for example, uh, let's say you want to only eat uh, uh, carrots or something like that. So uh, what you do is you're not going to suddenly be able to do it only, probably. So you prototype, you start to do it. You'll have a carrot every day at noon let's say. You'll try out, you'll test it out in a small way, and you'll see if it works. And if it works, you'll continue going that way. And if it doesn't work, you'll go to turnips or whatever you want to go to. So the the prototyping idea is not It's just to test it and to get a future direction. That's the purpose of a prototype, to test out your idea, see if it works, and to see which way you want to go from it to get some information. That's really what it's about. And in terms of human behavior, you test out your thing. You know, so if I want to ask you for a date, I might, you know, be afraid to do that. So I do some test of that. I call you up, I have a little conversation with you and all. And if it goes well and you're nice, I go and bring you some flowers the next time. And then maybe the third time I'll ask you for a date. If you've so, But if clearly you don't want anything, I'll go and find someone else to ask. I don't, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's testing it out and getting some information about it.
0: Great. And, and so so many people, instead of doing that, will read another book on nutrition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that's right. They want to, right. so
0: it's so it's about
1: yeah.
0: um I, I, personalized I, actionable yeah. learning based on based on what you've done rather than yeah. just accretion of theory. Absolutely.
1: I, I, I got I had I get a lot of uh, emails about my book and I got one from this guy's in Florida and he he listens to my book when he goes to work every day on his commute and uh, he has a problem he wants to start a business he has all these things he wants to do he doesn't do he says your book is great it changed my life What other book would you suggest I read? (laughs) And of course, I said, stop reading books and go do some of this stuff. (laughs) But some people get this. They go from book to book. you got to get out there and do it. That's the bias towards action stuff. You you can't prepare. You'll never be ready. You're You're as ready today as you'll ever be for anything. And most people think they'll get. There's going to be a magic moment when they're ready. And there's always more to learn. There's always more to do. There's always more money to accumulate. You just do it by doing it. Right on. Well,
0: Bernie, thank you so much. I want to mention the name of your book, which I think I only mentioned in passing, so people can go get it. It's called The Achievement Habit. And it came out what 2016. It, it's uh, it's two years. Two,
1: two years, 2015 July, yes.
0: 2015. Yeah. So it's it's, it's an amazingly and generous.
1: Languages also, incidentally. How many? 14 other languages than English, yeah. Just, wow, so. so this came out in Spanish and Indonesian. <laughs> yeah, we've lost our competitive advantage. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Howard. I really appreciate it. I enjoy the conversation and great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for all you do and for writing that book and making it so
1: available to everyone
0: and for for taking the time to be on the podcast.
1: Well, it's a big part of my life. I'm glad to share it. Okay. All right. Take, Thanks a lot. Be well. Eat healthy. You too. Be well.
0: <laughs> Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Big Change Program led by me and Josh Lajani, visit bigchangeprogram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com 226. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 225 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast but not the big change bulldog, you can sign up and also get the Oatmeal Project report at plantyourself.com slash oatmeal. If you'd like to support the podcast and have more time and typing chops than money, consider transcribing an episode. This will allow us to spread our advocacy to the deaf and hearing impaired and also to provide a convenient format for everyone to consume the content. We have a new transcript thanks to Kelly Machia. It's number 197, Scott Carney on extreme cold and facing the world as it is. Scott is an investigative reporter who hung out with Wim Hof and a bunch of other people who are exploring the extremes of human capacity to not only deal with difficult environmental conditions, but to thrive in them, to reverse autoimmune diseases, to get ourselves functioning the way we were meant to function. It's a fascinating conversation. His book, What Doesn't Kill Us, is a fantastic read, and you can get that, again, the transcript as well as listen to that episode at plantyourself.com slash 197. If you would like to support the show and you're not such a great typist, you can share this and other episodes on social media or via email. You can write that iTunes review or you can become a patron of the show with an ongoing contribution at plantyourself.com. Click on Patreon on the right sidebar. In garden news, we've gotten okra the last couple of weeks. I harvested the last of the eggplants yesterday. I chopped some basil down practically to the stems and they have revived and are looking very nice for a a fall pesto push. Uh, We sowed beets and lettuce and I'm starting to see the kale emerging from the ground. In running news, I have about five weeks till my 50K, but I'm going to take a little detour to uh, to do a run, a fun run for my friend Ryan, who's a race director for the first time for the North Carolina Pepper Pe- Pepper Pe- <laughs> Pickled Peppers Pickled Peter Pepperfest, the Pepperfest Flying Pepper Run, which is going to be in Chapel Hill on September 24th. If you're interested, if you're in the area and you want to do a fun four-mile run that includes stations where you have to taste different North Carolina peppers and the optional uh, shot of flying pepper vodka at the finish line, you can go to pepperfestnc.org. Big thanks to Will Ridenour for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenour.com. And last and not least, last and most, thanks also to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. You know who you are, but I still love saying your names. And here we go. Take us out. Kim Harrison, Linda Klein, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Canolty, Lizzie Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharf, Dean Ahern, Jen Fokinowski, David Bicek, and Mysterious Michelle Exell, with Feldman Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina Julian, Roland Stu Dolnik, Sarah Dirkus, Rimes and Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Patterson, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gila, Sir David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Doron of Gio, and Carlin Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Thunderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Wara, Equally Mysterious Tracy Z. Alicia Lemmis, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, rhymes with cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie, Bonnie Lynch, a plant, Happy Oregon, Sabine Kurtzall, Nigel Davies, Marion Plum, Teresa Kopold, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins, and Breed O'Connell for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends.